Hello and welcome back. Today we have for you the conclusion of Book 2, Chapter 8. But first, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is professional therapy done securely online. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety or depression, or maybe you just want to talk through some things with an impartial professional. Um, I, I found therapy helpful for all of those things uh, in my life, but sometimes I'm really busy and my work schedule is unpredictable, and it's hard to get to a consistent in-person appointment time every week. And in those times, it was really helpful to be able to send a message to my therapist whenever I was free. With BetterHelp, you'll get timely and thoughtful responses from a licensed professional, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Visit BetterHelp.com slash T-O-A-F-N, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And here's a special offer for Once in Future Nerd listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash T-O-A-F-N. That's BetterHelp.com slash T-O-A-F-N. Also... As always, I want to shout out our patrons on Patreon who make this show possible. Particular thanks this month go out to John F., Jordan T., and Alec S. I want to also quickly acknowledge that as of your hearing this, uh, our show has been releasing episodes for nine years, which is freaking wild. Uh, we're so grateful to have had all of you along for some or all of this journey. And lastly, one programming note before the episode. As this is the final episode of the chapter, we'll be doing an Ask the Once in Future Nerd live stream sometime next month, uh, i.e. October, date and time TBA, but you can get those questions in starting now. Just use hashtag AskTOAFN on any of our socials so you can be sure we'll see them, and then stay tuned to all of our socials uh, for the details of the stream. Okay, enjoy the conclusion of Book 2, Chapter 8. There's some rough stuff on this episode, so definitely check the content warnings if you're concerned, and I will talk to you next month. The Once and Future Nerd Book 2 Myth Made Flesh Chapter 8 A Change of Scenery Part 4 by Christian T. Kelly Madeira Now for the remainder of this book of our tale. The experiences of the party of seven, plus young Connor, are bound to be quite action-packed, as they say. So before I set us upon that ramp of causal gravity, I must tie up a few other loose threads. These events, all profoundly important to what will follow, will nevertheless interrupt my, how do you say, flow, if left for later? Impeccable pacing, you see, is a skill one acquires when free to exist outside time and space. First, we journey to the southwesternmost tip of the so-called Sugarcane Archipelago, where a small rowboat has just made port. After you, darling. Well, I suppose this is where we live now. I suppose it is. Oh, quite hot for late autumn, wouldn't you say? My, what unusual trees. Beautiful, though. Listen, I'll take this the wrong way. 
I can't imagine you have supper plans. And since you're the only familiar faces on this entire landmass, what say we four find a public house and get better acquainted? I think that would be lovely. Excuse me. I'm so sorry to intrude. Are you four new here by any chance? We are? Why do you ask? Well, I work for the church, and uh, how rude of me. My name's Ethel. How do you do? Well met, Ethel. I'm Ben. Ben. Mildred. Anna. Gail. Well, color me charmed. And might I ask, I, I don't know the customs where you all are from, but around here you two are dressed as preachers. Are you of Galadin's cloth by any chance? Me and Ben was preachers on the mainland. Oh, wonderful. Well, that will give us something to talk about for sure. Not that we wouldn't have found other topics on our own. Anyway, as I was saying, I work for the church too. We make it a point to try and welcome all the newcomers here. So consider yourselves made welcome. Oh, how very kind of you. And if you're interested, we serve a meal every day at our rectory. It's later than breakfast and earlier than lunch, so we call it lunch fest. Just a cute little thing we all do around here. It's pay what you can. Wouldn't want to presume anything either way about your circumstances. And there's lots of friendly, decent folk to meet. If you need help finding somewhere to stay, just talk to Gregory and he'll get you set right up. Cascade of grateful smiles passed between the four weary travellers. Geladin does provide. Indeed he does. So you'll stop by then? I believe we shall. Oh, I'm so glad. Now I have to stay here a while longer in case anyone else arrives. But if you stay on this road a ways, it'll take you straight to our rectory. It's just a few paces past the auction house. You can't miss it. Now indeed, the very night before these four travelers were bid this warm welcome, there was another journey to the Sugarcane Isles being planned. And this one was, well, I'll let you see for yourself. We set our scene now in Seahold, where two men, both very recently down on their luck, were meeting. Little did they know, they were each soon to be the next in the other's latest streak of misfortunes. I'm told you can offer discreet and safe passage to the Sugarcane Isles. The one, Ardell Redmore, had recently been exposed and deposed by a much craftier opponent. And you'll recall, he was rapidly running low on the means by which the Highborn typically evaded justice. Yeah, for a reasonable price, of course. The other, Captain Otto Olofsson, had been robbed of everything but the shirt off his back and set adrift at sea by Red Wren the Ruthless and her crew. Would you accept that ass? Pardon? That donkey right over there. Hardy farm stock, to be sure. For the journey you're after, that's an insultingly low price. And yet here you are, still on the docks after dark, after all the more reputable captains have already found employment. So, this is what you've come to, Otto. Reputation in Machetta. Plying your father's trade for flea-bitten livestock. What would he say if he saw you? Will you get that ass back below deck? You're not paying enough to be up here. You're barely paying enough for steerage. My briny fellow, do you see those watch lights on the shore? Yeah. Might I ask what part of my desire for discretion was unclear? Wherever they are, they can't reach us out here. 
You do understand that, don't you? We need to be farther out. Now. Any farther out? We're bound to be boarded by pirates. I'm certainly not doing that again. And then, with self-certainty that could only be mustered by a man accustomed to having all of his worst impulses enabled by those around him, Ardell grabbed the helm. Let go of that, you, you goofy bastard! Father, I said! A few minutes later... PIRATES! Another few minutes later... And a few minutes later still... This fucker again. You don't learn too quick, do you? Search the ship, Mom. He's poorer than a dirt farmer's stable boy, don't you know? Because you robbed me blind not two weeks ago. You know. You're a rich bastard. What? No, no, I have nothing to my name. Just this ass. And it's his now, anyway. Never before have me seen someone on a boat like this who looks less comfortable to be here. If you can't fetch a pretty little ransom, I'll have to eat me scabbard. Off, grab him. But wait, I can't... <laughs> And as we continue our tying of loose threads, I must return you once more to a remote cabin on the eastern slope of the Black Mountains and to two of the most loathsome creatures we have met to date. Hello? Is anyone home? Anyone? Going once? Well, finders keepers, I suppose. Now, let's see here. Must be a pantry or a larder or a... You're looking pretty rough there, fella. Who said that? Just the owner of the homestead you've availed yourself of. Well, show yourself then, but be warned. I have terrible and powerful magics at my disposal. Yeah, the fact that you're still walking and talking inclines me to believe you. But, uh, I'm not unskilled in the arcane arts myself. So it's that way, is it? Very well. Easy there, fella, easy. I see no need for us to quarrel. At least not yet. I was just giving us some light. If you're not my foe, then show yourself. Well, look over in the corner there. You see that painting? Yes. Well, there I am. Is that meant to be a joke? Ah, oh, no joke, fella. You see, I ran into some trouble with some folks and they, uh... Well, suffice it to say, the vessel my mother gave me wasn't a much good no more. From the looks of it, you know what that's like. So, uh, I found the next best vessel at hand. A vessel? Are we speaking, then, of transcending the natural limitations of mortal flesh? Indeed we are. And am I to understand that you have extended your life into something which was never living to begin with? Well, not never. It's a matter of degrees, ain't it? This canvas was plants once. But fair enough. Its lifetime is much more distant than the bodies you and I was born with. 
fascinating and useful talent. Suppose you were to teach it to me. Perhaps I have something you would consider fair in return. Well, I seen what you did with all them creepy crawlers in the wall. Were you merely calling them to your aid, or was they following your will in a more specific way? Each creature that emerged was at my beck and call. Hmm, you're sure now? Can be hard to tell with those little who's-its. And we wouldn't want to get, uh, any future collaborations started with an empty boast. Nothing at all empty about this. Renault uncurled what was left of an arm out towards the painting with which he conversed. And as he did, a particularly plump and furry spider ran up his shoulder and into his outstretched palm, at which point it reared up on its four hind legs and began to wiggle its front four back and forth. This is how the girls at the college dance. Well, never quite got the hang of that one myself. All righty then. I teach you mine if uh, you teach me yours. That a deal? Deal. And now, if you'll indulge me, there's one more thread to tie, so long as we are speaking of loathsome things. We return to the house of Yellowine's parents, where I'm afraid a loathsome event is about to transpire. My darling, I do not blame you for disliking this news, but would you please eat something? Ruby worked all last night and all today to make your favorite stew. So I'm to be a prisoner in my own house then? If you only knew the absurdity, child, of calling this place a prison. Would you consent to such a condition? I would if it were for my own safety, duh. Safety? Must you always be so dramatic, Father? One day you will know what it is to love a child. To know with certainty that you would not only give your life for another, but that you would rend the very foundations of Silberin and Jordan just to make them comfortable, only to have them spit in the face of everything you gave them! I never wanted any of this, and if you'd only listen to me long enough to- Enough! Husband, when she speaks deliberately to rile you, I think you are clever enough to not let yourself be riled. Look, your face is already growing red. And child, I assure you, your father is not being dramatic when he speaks of your safety. Now, will you please eat? What danger could I possibly be in? A wordless exchange passed then between Bartloil and Winlodic. It was an exchange of parents deciding what sorts of knowledge it was worth burdening their offspring with. That's just it, my love. We're not sure. <laughs> well, there you have it. What your father means to say is that we now have an enemy in Reloti. Not to mention that dreadful ball syndic. And both of them are the kind whose ambitions far outpace their consciences. We must be exceedingly careful. Will you please eat something, darling? For the last time, I am not hungry. In fact, I don't think I shall be hungry for quite some time. Whatever are you talking about? Balafel told me about the workers under the mountains. When their conditions became truly intolerable, they would simply refuse to eat until conditions improved, or they died. That's what I should do. 
Heliduke, I have known you longer than you have known you. If it's one thing you won't do, it's starve yourself to death in protest. Now your face is growing red, dear. <coughs> well, I don't need to die. I only need to outlast this tyrannical dictate of yours. And look how out of sorts I've gotten you just by skipping one meal. Child, for the love of Galadon, will you... <coughs> Please... Stop being <coughs> so... <coughs> <coughs> well, don't get all choked up about it. But even as this jape left her tongue, Yuladik saw both her parents' expressions cross from annoyance to discomfort to genuine distress. <coughs> Mother? Father. Ruby! Ruby, quick, call the... Fit. But when Yelodic opened the kitchen door, the sight therein stopped the words in her throat. Ruby! The serving girl Ruby lay pallid and still on the floor, blood pooling around her open wrists and a paring knife in one limp hand. Caledon, have mercy! Yelodic clutched a countertop and clenched her eyes to stop from fainting herself. When she opened her eyes, the world was spinning and a grey haze was tickling at the corners of her vision. And it was in this state, somehow both detached and deeply focused at the same time, that she noticed the piece of parchment on the counter. Woe is me, terrible woe is me. I have foolishly mistaken deadly widow's cup for harmless peasant saucer in my mistress's favourite mushroom stew. Widow's, widow's cup. Mother, father, we need to get you to... But when she returned to the dining room, both of her parents were already face down on the table, unmoving, with the skin around their necks an angry shade of purple. Father! <laughs> Had nothing else happened, it is entirely possible that Yellow Dick might have stayed in that spot crying until she had run out of tears. And perhaps she would have even died of deprivation after all. So great was the shock she'd just suffered. But, for better or for worse, she was not yet free from danger. Not at all. And the next danger headed her way made itself known to her by, uh, it must be admitted, the loud and ostentatious door into the main hall. He said, make sure it was done right. Her desire to live, now pushing back against her desire to grieve, Yelodic did something so well practiced that it was possible even in an utter state of panic. Without making a sound, she slipped off her shoes and took them in hand. She dashed deftly up the servant's stairs, knowing exactly where to land on each step so that it would not creak. Upon reaching the second floor, she darted into her bedroom, opened a window, and slipped out onto a nearby branch, quiet as a summer breeze. So, the remainder of Vanderberg's journey with his eight charges under the mountains passed uneventfully. Well, largely uneventfully. Bro, I don't know how I didn't think of this before, but Jesus. What about him? He finds out he's got. 
and he gets tortured to death. Oh, word. Ugh, I forgot about that. You, that's a hugely important part of that story. Billy, remember we talked about this? Oh, snap. What's over there? Hey, easy now. The glint that caught Billy's eyes revealed itself under torchlight to be a full suit of gilded plate steel sat on the lip of what looked like a well. Ah, oh, sick, bro. Free armor. I got dabs. Now just hang on. Billy, wait, 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 wait. But on holding the torch closer, Billy saw through the helmet to the desiccated skull of the armor's prior owner. Oh, what the fuck? And as he recoiled in horror, he managed to dislodge a single gauntlet and send the rest of the suit careening down the well. What did I say? Sounds like we're clear. Let's keep moving and don't do that shit again. So yes, that aside, it was uneventful. And it was a little before noon on the third day of their travels when Vanderberg, well-trained in what to look for, began to perceive a faint bluish glow up ahead. And soon thereafter, he felt the slightest stirrings of a breeze. Hey, oh, you feel that? Look up ahead. We made it. And as they walked, blinking out of the tunnel and onto a plateau, the sensory experience was overwhelming. It might have been just the contrast with the damp and dark under the mountains, but the air smelled crisp, like a handful of untrod snow. The sun burned brighter amidst the deepest blue expanse, and the landscape was a vivid tableau of land and life. Oceans of green grass, specked with towers of vibrant red clay stretching to the skies. Ladies, gentlemen, welcome to the West. The Once and Future Nerd is directed by Christian T. Kelly Madeira. It is created and executive produced by Zach Glass and Christian T. Kelly Madeira, and co-executive produced by Jess Kelly Madeira. The associate producer is Alec Story. It is performed by... Rhiannon Angel. Garrett Arman. Dan Dobransky. Anya Gibeon. Ian Harkins. Shannon Harris. Aaron Lanham. Paul Notice. Anna O'Daniel. April Ortiz. Frank Quares. Julie Reed. Regina Renee Russell. Gregory M. Schultz. Editing by Tristan Stone. Foley, sound design and post-production mixing by Edward Bush. Tom Lee is our musical director and lead composer, with additional scoring by Chris Montalbo. For more, visit onceandfuturenerd.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr or Reddit. 